would it zoom matter. off. <laughs> it didn't matter. I would have beaten the guy from the lights. Um, so, uh, yeah, golden days. Uh, so, uh, I think uh, John Belfilio is ready, which is very, very good news, uh, and joins us from Mexico. Uh, John, a very good evening to you. Good evening, Martin. Of all the stories I was expecting to hear tonight, that wasn't top of the list. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you never know. Here we go. This one is top of the list. Tell me about the, uh, the Mel Gibson honey. This is my favourite story of the year, bar none, anywhere on earth. <laughs> so, uh, Mel Gibson, obviously, you know, we're well versed with his, his back catalogue in terms of film and probably also his, you know, his difficulties in terms of, uh, him being pulled over by, by cops and drinking, etc. Mm -hmm. And he's now hit the headlines across Latin America, but also he's gone viral across other countries as well because his lawyers have come down heavily on a, on a small brand of honey in Chile owned by a, by a single mother with four children who's called her organic honey range Miel Gibson. So she's added an eye to Mel <laughs> to make honey in Spanish. Um, and her lawyers clearly, uh, sorry, Mel Gibson's lawyers clearly have too much time on their hand, hands and were Googling his name or something, came across uh, two things. One is the uh, uh, unsanctioned use of his name, but also the Braveheart image which was used on the honey. And they issued a cease and desist... Uh, order to this to this poor lady who'd only just started you know honey producing because of the pandemic because of the fact that her teaching job had uh um she'd been made redundant from her teaching job and and so on um so yeah mel gibson in, in the news for all the wrong reasons yet again it, the, the <laughs> situation has been resolved i'm pleased to be the bearer <laughs> of breaking news here or partially resolved apparently she's allowed to keep using the name but she must not use the image of mel gibson as braveheart on the front of her jars of honey. Yeah, I mean, I'm amazed it's taken so long for someone to come up with Miel Gibson honey, given that the word uh, Miel, it's, it's the same in French, isn't it? M-I-E-L, uh, as it is in Spanish. And when you consider all the potential for Miel Gibson uh, honey, I'm surprised it's taken so long. But we salute uh, this uh, lady for um, Professor Johanna Agurto, I think, um, in yep, Santiago. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Yeah. Yep. Well, we salute her for her um, entrepreneurial spirit. Now, um, more more stuff about uh, Bolsonaro. He's been um, he's been savaged by uh, um, the. I'm trying to think of who the guy is that savaged him. It's the um, it, well, what his, his ex opponents? health minister. Yeah, he's former um, health minister. He was actually one. Yeah, he was one of his uh, staunchest allies. There's, there's health ministers queuing up to uh, to diss our friend Jair Bolsonaro. But this is uh, Henrique Mendetta, who was um, who was in in power as the health ministry when Brazil had only 2,000 uh, confirmed deaths quite a few months ago. But there was a very uh, at that point there was very obvious public schisms between Mendetta and Bolsonaro. Mendetta would appear at press conferences, sat next to Bolsonaro with a the face mask and Bolsonaro would be quite happily, you know, sort of sat there without one, etc. They had a number of public fallings out and it got to the point where uh, Bolsonaro sacked Mendetta and Mendetta's uh, come, come into the spotlight again over the course of the last few days, um, basically really savaging Bolsonaro and saying that a lot of what's taken place in Brazil is his fault for, for not taking it seriously, for not taking coronavirus seriously. He said that the people of Brazil have been led into a canyon by the president who has displayed utter contempt 
for science um, uh, and so on. And at the same time, uh, Bolsonaro's supporters, in particular his vice president, who's been paraded out recently to to make the case for what a great job the administration they're doing, Hamilton Morau, who's a who's ex of ex military stock. Um, has been saying that it's not the government's fault at all. It's in fact civilians because they're all, uh, uh, they all suffer from a lack of discipline and they can't be told what to do and then follow, and then follow instructions. His most recent surprising diatribe, uh, came out just today when Leonardo DiCaprio, who's well versed in environmental matters and sharing things that annoy people, shared something about deforestation and fires in, in the Amazon. And Hamilton Morau came out and publicly challenged Leonardo DiCaprio to an eight hour hike through the Amazon jungle. <laughs> really? Well, that's, um, yeah, I'd like to see that happen. That should be on uh, pay-per-view if, uh, if that happens. Yeah, that should, that should resolve everything. Yeah, of course it will. Of course it will. Um, now, Brazil at the moment is obviously the worst hit country uh, outside of the uh, of the US. Uh, and I'm just wondering if um, yeah, what the public mood is in uh, Brazil. I mean, people will obviously they don't like being locked down. They don't like being restricted and told uh, what to do. You know, you would assume that you know, you know, not to not to use racial stereotypes too much, but you assume that Brazilian people uh, don't respond well to um, you know to being told they have to stay at home. No, I mean, and I think the thing you need to, like, obviously Brazil is a massive country and that, you know, there's all manner of, of climates mm. and, and so on there, but largely it's an equatorial country, uh, you know, which isn't, you know, has a, a certain degree of affluence in certain regions, but there's also, uh, you know, a significant majority of the population do not live wealthily or, or in riches. So when you've got, uh, you know, a, a pandemic comes comes into town and you, you're told to go and stay in your tiny house with your 20 family members in, mm -hmm. in a two-room apartment or whatever it might be, and for none of those people to go out and earn money, um, which is crucial to just getting food on the table, I mean, that's not going to, you know, play very well. I, I don't think it's necessarily related to a general sense of, you know, of laziness or lack of attention on the part of the people. I think there are just some fundamentals, and not just in Brazil, across Latin America, which make it largely impossible for a lot of people to follow those those instructions and and as we've spoken about before on your show it's it's um basically exchanging one kind of death for another because you know if you don't go out to work if you don't go out and risk whatever you know a possible infection that means you're not getting any money in there's no food on the table and that's a whole series of different problems that that crop up which are you know as vexing and as dangerous to you as a family on the breadline as this um, as this disease, which is, you know, very here and present. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably everything you said there would apply equally to Peru, for instance. You know, we also had uh, real problems and, and India as well on a different uh, different continent altogether. Um, we, we try and sort of focus on some of the sport that goes on in Latin America. Uh, volleyball uh, across the whole continent, particularly popular, John. It really is. And I think really, I mean, I guess you could split it up into three different groupings, like sort of national volleyball competitions, uh, beach volleyball as well. I mean, I know technically they're two different sports, but, you know, beyond the sand, they basically look and feel the same. Um, and then 
like volleyball at a grassroots level. Um, and I think the grassroots level component is the most interesting because it really, there is no link between grassroots volleyball across Latin America and then, you know, the major competitions and the major successes of countries like, like a Cuba or a Brazil. Um, and largely, especially in remote areas, volleyball is as popular as, as soccer is. You'll be, um, you know, walking through a town in the middle of nowhere or driving through a town and you'll see volleyball nets um, everywhere. It, it occupies a very small amount of space. You just need to string a net between two, two trees. And, and often after work on any given day, you know, groups of farm laborers or, or men who've been out in the fields will just in their, in their snakeskin boots and their Stetsons, they'll, they'll have a 45 minute game of volleyball before, before going home for lunch. You've then got the national, uh, obviously component of things and you've got some real powerhouses in in Latin America as well. North America, there's a, there's a North American, um, and Central America and kind of Caribbean federation, and then you've got a South American federation as well. In the North American component, Cuba is, is really the, the Latin American, uh, powerhouse there. And in fact, with all of those competitions that have taken place since 1969, um, they've all been won by either Cuba or the USA. So in terms of the, you know, the Cold War component, uh, where sports, was kind of um, war in parallel. These volleyball mm. competitions, finals, took on a real, a real uh, vibe, threatening vibe between those two countries. And then in South America, Brazil has basically won every tournament since the inception of the tournament in 1951, except for once when, when Argentina won it. But at an international level, in a kind of Olympics contest uh, context as well, again, Brazil is one of the, you know, the multiple winners in the Olympics, and for sure. Uh, an international powerhouse then doesn't really get much of the attention, I think, in terms of press and certainly not internationally, but certainly here at a, you know, at a, at a local level, it's spoken mm. about quite a bit as a, as a major sport. Well, I gather you uh, played a little bit of uh, volleyball yourself, uh, John. In Latin America, I have never once been on the winning side uh, on a, <laughs> in a volleyball match. I get hustled with, with, with abandon. <laughs> really? Well, that's a shame. Now, just, just one final story before you go. Um, this uh, fishing dispute, this doesn't surprise me, this, because um, Ecuador is saying that uh, loads of vessels from uh, a Chinese fishing fleet uh, operating near the uh, Galapagos Islands, um, uh, well, they've turned off uh, tracking systems to prevent monitoring of their activities. Um, uh, you know, a fishing dispute between Ecuador and uh, China not the sort of thing you expect to hear. Yeah, and really it's, um, I mean, it's been really uh, bumped up in the international press about them being Chinese fish, fishing vessels, but there's loads of different internationally flagged fishing vessels that go out into the ocean for, for months at a time with massive industrial uh, freezers and basically, um, you know, hover on the, at best, hover on the edges of, of legality, at worst, get right in there. Um, and you know, rip the heart out of the out of the oceans with vast uh, drift nets. I've been mm. on some of these on some of these ships, and uh, I mean, you know, when you've got a drift net that is uh, that is miles wide, that does not discriminate between uh, between tuna or sharks or turtles or yeah, or whale. You know, I've certainly even seen whale sharks in some of these in some of these vessels. And the, the people that operate these vessels will tell you that. Um, you know, they, they get in amongst the net and then release the protected species. But obviously that doesn't happen. And if it does happen, it happens once once they're dead already. And really it's a problem of the high seas, international waters, where there is no no real monitoring that takes place and where you've got these, these enormous fishing companies um, that basically, you know, have 
a multitude of vessels and they work their way around the systems in order to be able to to catch illegally and land illegally by turning trackers off, by repainting names at sea before a vessel arrives at port, moving catch to other vessels and so on. And this isn't new in a Galapagos context. I mean, obviously, the Galapagos Islands, you know, famous in terms of Darwin's Mm. origin of the species, UNESCO World Heritage Site and so on. You know, one of the most important sites biologically on Earth. Um, But also that means that you've got a huge biomass in terms of fish species there. So it's in in a fisherman's, in industrial fishing um, interest to get as close as you can to that. And in particular, a lot of the fish move between the continent, between South America and then the Galapagos Islands in particular to kind of uh, to mate and to lay. So these vessels hover between those two spaces and then just suck up everything that um, that comes through and then take it off to, to shore. And this has been highlighted recently because of the huge over 300 vessels were spotted just off the the protected area in the Galapagos um, uh, and, as you say, waiting to fish. Or, and then obviously they turn their trackers off because presumably over the course of the last two weeks they've caught everything they needed to catch and now they don't want to be tracked back to whatever port it is that they're going to go back to. Yeah. Well, it's a real scandal. I mean, but what we're saying really is that these are, they're flying under a Chinese flag. But as you say, uh, you know, in, internationally, you've got vessels flying under all sorts of, uh, I know, like Panamanian flags, all sorts of uh, different flags. So it's not necessarily uh, a sort of Chinese uh, government thing. These ones, I mean, these ones actually do happen to be um, Chinese company owned. Um, so you can, it's not just the, the flag component and the, and the registering the vessel feature. And a lot of these companies that own these vessels have already been, you know, flagged up for, um, for illegal practices. Notwithstanding, basically, you know, in an international context, if you've got a, a vessel, there are various reasons in which you might flag it with, uh, with different countries, different incentives, you know, tax reductions and mm. so on. If you're Panama flagged, you get, uh, it's cheaper to go through the Panama Canal. So if you've got a big vessel in that, there's an incentive there as well. So, yeah, for sure that a vessel with a particular flag doesn't necessarily mean that it belongs to, you know, that it came out of port in that country. It's just a series of papers that the ship will be holding. Yeah. Okay. Well, John, thanks uh, ever so much. Uh, Lots of luck with your uh, volleyball career uh, in the future. Uh, Thank you. I'm off to practice now. (laughs) <laughs> yes, so you should. I wish you much success. And uh, thanks ever so much for uh, for talking to us, John. Take care. Speak soon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Bonfilia there joining us from uh, Mexico with all the news from uh, the continent of Latin America. Uh, what can I say?